from playing barefoot street soccer in Zimbabwe to his current job with Charlotte FC. Hi, I'm Patrick Ducker. I'm a academy coach with uh, Charlotte FC. I'm the head of individual development as well as the uh, discovery program manager. We hear this guy's story next. podcast in Charlotte FC, bringing you the human experience behind the club, inspiring stories, community initiatives, beneficial info, and much more with Matt Harris, the voice, and Wayne Dyer, the tech. Patrick, I met you in 2006. I moved down here in 2004. And then in 2006, I started coaching club. And, and that's when I met you. But I want to take it back to your schoolboy days in Zimbabwe and your journey. So I don't know where you want to start. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know? Uh, I, I will start in the streets. Yes, I, I remember 2006. I was two years into my, uh, my contract with Charlotte Eagles. I had just moved from Oregon. But yeah, my, my journey is not a typical one. Um, started off in the streets, really. Okay. Uh, we were playing street ball. It was mostly me and my friends, my brothers. I was, uh, I had two older brothers. Okay. So I used to kick around with them and their friends. Being the youngest, I get kicked around a little bit. Uh, but you, you kind of learn to, to handle the situation uh, after a while. But it was good. Mm -hmm. um, there was no limits on age group because it was just street. You play organized. with everybody. You play with everybody, yeah. What, what city in Zimbabwe is this? It's called Chitungwiza, which is half an hour south of the capital, okay. Harare. That's where I grew up. And I went to school there as well. So from there, played in the streets until I was a sixth grader. What age is that? Is it the same as you were no, sixth grade? Well, up to seventh grade is the same. Uh, okay. And then, so the school system is a little bit different. And, and then from there, you go into high school, which is four years. And then f those four years can be extended to six years, depending on how well you do. Right. You, do you guys do that A-level stuff? A-level stuff, okay, yeah. Okay, so, so yeah, it, that's, that's part of the English system. It's called, uh, is it GCE? Yes. Yes. GCE. So yeah. same thing in the Caribbean. Right. So the GCE is supposed to prepare you for college. It's yeah. kind of like... Your, yeah. the, the, the bridge between high school and college. Um, so you're basically kind of taking almost college-level um, introductory classes, mm -hmm. lessons. But anyways, going back. So sixth grade, I'm, I'm playing uh, for the second team in my school. Each team would have two teams. They have a senior team and then what you would call here a JV team. And we call it a B team. So I would play in that B team. The senior team is mostly made up of seventh graders and a few special fifth, uh, sixth graders. So I okay. got into the uh, sixth grade team, played in there, and uh, my first... No, sorry, I, let me back up. In fifth grade, I got into the, to the sixth grade team. I played my first couple games and looked, looked really good. And then for some reason... I don't know what happened, but I started really just performing poorly and badly. Really? Yeah. I remember the coaches were teachers, school teachers. During practice, I 
messed up in, a, in an activity. He didn't appreciate that. And then he kicked me out of the team. Kicked me oh. out of practice and kicked me out of the team. Okay. And that had to hurt. That, that hurt. Angry uh, or sad or what was your reaction? Confusing yeah. and sad. But at the same time, a lot of uh, just self-disappointment. Like, when you get kicked out of a team, of a team, you, you immediately start thinking, I'm not good. Right, well, start I'm, doubting yourself. Start doubting myself, yeah. So I'm not as good as I thought I was. I'm not as good as people told me I was. Because in the streets, I was like one of the man. guys. Yeah, yeah, I was the man. <laughs> so when, when, when friends picked teams to play against each other, I was one of the first ones picked. So yeah. I felt really good. Adults yeah. in the neighborhood would come and watch a neighborhood game and, and pick me as one of the, as the top players. So, so when you get released from, from like a, an organized team uh, by an adult, you, you really doubt yourself. Do you, were your parents involved? Did you have somebody at home that was going to let you have the wrath when you got home? <laughs> I didn't tell my parents. Oh, uh, you didn't? <laughs> I didn't tell them I got kicked off the team. <laughs> you really? Uh, <laughs> I didn't want them to be disappointed. I didn't. Want, I didn't know how to tell them to you know that I was disappointed, uh, that I was uh, kicked off the team. Um, did your brothers know? My brothers knew. Yes. Did they keep your secret? They they didn't say a thing oh. at, at home at all. So right, 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 uh, they right. just they kept know the it. code. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but we kept playing in the streets, which was good. Um, and I didn't join um, any youth club, so I always played unorganized soccer. The only organized soccer I played was in school soccer. Then in sixth grade, I went back and tried again, and this time I made it. But I didn't just make it. I was a sixth grader now playing on the B team, but then also uh, guesting on the first team. So the at least that validation that, yeah, I'm not as bad as I thought was I was. Was the teacher slash coach that had kicked you out? Was that person still there? Was he still there? He was still there, but he was, he was in charge of the B team. Okay. But the first team coach wanted me to play for the first team. Yes. So the first team coach is the guy that came to me and said, you need to come back again and try. Yeah. But um, did you deserve, do you feel you deserve to be kicked out? I, I think that at that time, things were just not, I was just not performing to the level that I thought I should, especially that during that moment that I got kicked off. But I, I, still think that it was too harsh yeah to kick me best off of mistakes in practice so it was it wasn't wow. a, a behavioral thing you weren't doing you weren't as uh, you weren't performing like the coach wanted you to be right no I, I, I no i was never that that kid that messed around or or got in trouble right uh, yeah, like yeah. that yeah i was yeah i don't see you as that type of i always <laughs> see you as a disciplined focused kind of person yeah but some people are disciplined you know? now might have not <laughs> been disciplined when they were <laughs> yeah 12 so, yeah, or yeah. i would i would i would say uh, I, I, off of soccer yes I'm, I'm a little bit disciplined yeah but um there are times when i played i got really competitive understood yeah i got really competitive but as i grew there were times where I would challenge authority quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Not, not in, a, in a, like, breaking rules or things like that, but I would question things. Yes. Mm-hmm. Why should we do this instead of this? I understand. Yes. Instead of this. As yeah. your knowledge, you gain more knowledge of the game. Right. So I actually ended up getting a nickname there. First, they called me the lawyer. And then, then <laughs> and they called me the professor <laughs> because I questioned things and, and I always argued in meetings. 
um, not in a bad way or to put, like I would go to coach and say, I, I think we, we might try this or we should try this or this doesn't make sense uh -huh. to us. Um, it was even worse when they made me captain because now I just had, I had the platform to talk yeah, and speak, okay. for, speak for others. So, but I want to go back to my, to <laughs> yeah. my grade school. That's, that's yeah. later on. Oh, get to that. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> so at sixth grade, I'm playing for the B team. And I would occasionally be called up to subbing. So the second team would play first and then the first team would play second. So I would play my game. I played as a number five, as a center back back in the day. But in the streets, I played as a goalkeeper and okay. as a field player. So I would, I would switch between okay. the two. In, in school, I would play as a center back or a, as a right back. But then the coach on the seventh grade team would bring me up with the, within the last mm -hmm. 15 minutes to play as a striker. Mm. So then I'll go in. And whether it was because of his coaching or the confidence or it was because I was good, I don't know. But occasionally I would change games. I would go in okay. with the team either losing or the team tied, and then I'll go in and I'll score. Right. And I'll score another. Um, and then all of a sudden they started calling me a super sub. So when the games okay. are tight... For the first team, they would call me in the last 15 minutes, go in and do something Play special. Up top. Score. Okay. Yeah. So that's when then my confidence and my reputation, uh, both in school and on the streets, started growing a little. When you say you played in the streets, we're talking literal streets, streets right? Yes, like, so streets. you are occasionally pretty banged up, yes. from, especially playing goalie diving on <laughs> cement and things like that. On, on dude. Yeah, and, and mind you, this, we didn't have cleats. So we'd play barefooted. Oh, yeah. And occasionally you kick a rock or yeah. you kick the ground and <laughs> yeah. then you split your toe. Wow. No medicine, nothing. So we'll put sand on it. We'll pour sand on the wound. Sand on the wound. Yes. Just to stop the bleeding and oh. then go back to play. And start playing. Yeah. And then the next day you're like crying. <laughs> There's some gnarly toes walking and around in Zimbabwe right now yeah, from all the banging up that they did as exactly. a kid. Right? Yeah. And showers were not fun. So, oh, yeah, you're right. So that water hits all those uh, scabs yeah. and road rashes. So, yeah, we played in the streets. No goals. We used rocks as, as goals. Sometimes if we didn't play with goalkeepers, we'd create like these small mini goals, but they were just two rocks, really, uh, side by side. But a smaller area. For a smaller area, yeah. yeah. If we wanted to use goalkeepers, we'd just move them wide. Parents, people... Be walking through the game because it's a street, so people walk through and then the game will stop. Pause for a second. Pause for a second. Yeah. Let the adults pass. Cars drive by. Cars drive by. <laughs> drop. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the boundaries were not drawn out. They it's were just, just natural boundaries. Right. So if it goes into someone's flower garden, it's out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If it yeah. goes into a drain, it's out. No, definitely out there. Yeah. Yeah. If it goes but beyond the goals, then you know it's out. It's, right. Yeah. But the other boundaries. I mean, There's up for discussion. Up for discussion. <laughs> <laughs> Some places, yes. Yes. So, yeah. uh, and you said, your bro are your brothers older or younger? My brothers were older. So I had two older brothers and then one younger brother. Okay. And so they were rough on you? They, 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 they didn't take it. They didn't take it easy on me. Yeah. Um, they didn't, do you think that helped? I, I, I think so. Yeah. I, I think it helped. Now looking back at it, it kind of toughened me up a little bit, yeah. uh, playing with the older boys. Because my story... Since the streets, since playing with my brothers, my story all the way up to when I signed my first pro contract, I was, for the most part, always the youngest player on the team. 
And it didn't rattle me, maybe because the streets prepared me for it. Yeah. And yeah. my brothers prepared me for it. They played a bigger role than they probably imagined. Your whole life could have gone a different way, I'm sure. Uh, there, there was some influence that was telling you, stay on the straight and narrow, mm -hmm. do your thing, don't get in trouble, go to school. Right. Who, what was that influence? First of all, it was my parents. Yeah. My parents were very education-focused. My dad worked hard. He was the only income in a house, in a family. My mom was a housewife, mm -hmm. but she did some, she was very talented in handcraft stuff. Mm. So she would make things at home. The sweaters that we wore to school were all hand-knitted by my mom. Mm. The hats, the gloves that we wore, they were all hand-knitted oh, by wow. my mom. Yeah. yeah. So she was very talented. And sometimes she would make these knitted blankets that we, we slept on. Oh, so wow. She was very talented. So that's what she did. She did that for us, and then she would sell some, some of the stuff as well. But my parents were also very religious. I grew up Catholic. And so every Sunday was church. Every Saturday was catechism. So you got to go and, and learn about yeah, the teachings. The teachings yeah, yeah. Yeah. School was the biggest thing. Even though they enjoyed the fact that we played soccer um, back then, their main focus was for us to do school and stay in school. So, yeah. Was that unusual with the group of kids you played? Were you, or was everybody that you hung out with education-focused, or were you unique to that group? It, it was a mix. Yeah. There were, there were some, some, some friends, of course, some, some neighbors, some kids in the streets that could care less about school. Yeah. Um, they got into all sorts of other things. Yeah. And, and then there were others that were actually very good, and, uh, and they focused on school. And those guys are the ones that pushed you. You know, because right. um, as much as you wanted bragging rights for, for soccer on the streets, you also wanted bragging rights for grades in the, yeah, that's in great. the, in the street. So, yeah. yeah. And a, a lot of us went to the same schools, so we know each other. And we were probably in the same classes, a lot of us. So, you know, you, you don't want to get beat by your... You're competitive all the way around uh, yes, on everything. Uh, everything. Yeah. There, was, there was other thing. There was something that we did in the morning before we went to school as well. So we were very competitive. We, we did keepy uppies in the morning just as a, as a competition. Come up, school started at 8 a.m., at 6 a.m., we were doing keepy-uppy competitions. What is that? What is that? That's when you juggle the ball oh, for as long ball, as okay. you can, and, yeah. and we count. Oh, wow. Um, how, many, how many touches you can get mm -hmm. before you drop the ball. And so it was all about who can keep the ball up the most and the longest. Um, yeah. And then we'd go to school. So you're thinking uh, you're going to play professional soccer. You're thinking you're going to go to college. What are your thoughts at that point? I had no college in my mind. There was only one university in the country uh, at that time uh, when I was in, in grade school. But my dad always said that I would be an engineer, that I would, I would go to become an engineer. I didn't know what that meant at that time. Yeah. Uh, because, <laughs> you know. That's a guy who drives a train? What is an engineer? <laughs> yeah, I had no idea what, what is an engineer. But he, that's what he always told me because I was good at math. So he kind of drummed that up in my head. That there was going to be this future beyond, beyond town or whatever. Exactly. What was his job he did? What did he do? He was a, a company controller, like a, what would you call it? Accountant. An accountant. accountant. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, what was the main industry or whatever in that area? Was there a, a, that a lot of people did? Uh, in my area, the, the biggest industry was um, a garment factory. What, do you, what would you call that? A industry? garment factory? Like a textile? Like, like a, a textile industry. Yeah, so that a lot was the of biggest. People, that was where a lot of people just, that was automatically 
we're going to grow up, we go ahead, and we start working at the factory. Yes. Yeah. That was it, like, it was called Context Tiles. Yeah. Hold on to that name because it will come back. Oh, really? Yeah. So, okay. um, so Context Tiles was the biggest industry. There was also a brewery called Chibuku Brewery mm -hmm. and then a, a disti uh, distillation industry, I think, Coca-Cola. Yeah, oh, okay. Their industry there. So those were the three main, okay. at least, industries that people would go into. For a but lot of my, people that would just kind of assume, I'm going to go to school and then I'm going to work in one of these three yes, places. Yes, yes. Yeah. But my dad worked um, in in the capital in Harare, so he would drive 30 minutes to get okay. to work. Uh, if I say by driving, I mean public transport. So how did you end up here? Yes. From your high school, mm -hmm. how did you end up in the U.S.? What's what's the path in between there? There's a lot. There were a lot of paths there. So, if so, I so give me give me a, a condensed version. <laughs> <laughs> when, like, when did you first think I might be going to the? Somebody came and said we want you to go to the U.S. Do, what, do you remember that moment? Yeah. yeah, I remember that moment. I was already playing uh, for uh, one of the big clubs there in Zimbabwe called Darin Tech T. Textiles. There you go. There you go. There's the textiles. Yep. It was uh, so. The team was owned by Context House, which was based in mm -hmm. my home city, Chitungwiza. Mm -hmm. uh, so I didn't play organized youth soccer until I was 15 in high school. So I skipped all the foundational developmental stages until I was 15. Wow. The only, the only school, uh, organized soccer I played was school soccer. Yeah. So in high school, someone... One of my teammates said, come, come and try out for this neighborhood team. There was a neighborhood team called Marisa Football Club. And they had some really good players, and I was always intimidated. Um, I would go and watch, but I, then I would ask myself, this is, this is too good. I can't. This is too good. A lot, lot of doubt here. Yeah. But this guy said, no, just come and train. Don't worry about, you know, you're not trying now. Just train. So I go in there. I train. The coaches like me. They asked me to come back again the next day. Mm -hmm. I went back. They trained five days a week, uh, Monday to Friday. I go back and I trained. They said, we have a game on Saturday. We want you to come. I had no cleats. I said, uh, yeah, I'll come, but, you know, no, no cleats. cleats. Everybody here has cleats. So. And they said, don't worry about it. We'll figure it out yeah. on game day. So I went there, played my first game. Um, it they was gave you cleats? They gave me cleats. Did they, had, they had extra cleats. Did mm -hmm. it fit? Too big, too small. <laughs> I, I chose cleats that fit my foot. Yeah. Uh, problem was that everybody else had to choose before I did. Because okay. you're okay. a young man on the totem pole. I was, yeah. Exactly. So, but anyways, I found, I found good ones that fit. And so then me, after the game, I gave them back. Let me ask you this, Patrick. So there are few kids with no cleats. And the coaches bring cleats. Yeah. And you, you take... And then you put it back at the end of the game. Yes. Yeah. So you can't take it back because they need, they need those cleats for the next team. So we might have, let's say, this team had wow. a U15 team, a U16, and a U17 team. And the U15s and U16s would probably wear similar sizes or the same size. <laughs> so the 15s play, done with your cleats, take them off. Back. 16s are using them. 
Wow. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. yes. And they're worn. And they've been they're around won. for a couple of seasons. Uh, of course, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and some of them may just be for show. Like, they have no, no, no stuff whatsoever. Is, is, yeah, <laughs> because the feel, the feel <laughs> are clay, basically. <laughs> Put a little twine around it to hold it on. Exactly, yeah. Go. So that's, that's, and, that's, and that's geez, what, that's crazy. when we talk about the Friendship Foundation on, and the stuff that I used to do, sending equipment back home, that's where the idea came from because I grew up like that. Yes. But I didn't want other kids to, to have to go through what I went through. So making sure that some of these kids can have proper cleats. Because I remember my first personal cleats were a gift from my cousin who was in, uh, in Kenya at that time. He was studying in Kenya. So he sent me my first pair of cleats. Wow. And now, talk about oversized. They were big. Yeah. They were huge. And they were missing a couple of studs. Okay. But they were mine. Yeah. That was my first pair. And they were, I don't know if you remember this, uh, this brand called Patrick. Yeah, with the two stripes on, yes. the, on the side. Yeah, that was my first heel. pair of clits. And you I, totally, that, like, oh. even you were talking about it, I could see you're oh. like, your eyes are like, God, it was like such a great yeah. moment. Oh, I'm, I'm telling you, that, that moment changed the way I looked at myself, um, the confidence, the way I looked at the game itself, and the, the, the growth in the passion that I, I had. Because now every time I looked at my, my clits and I'm polishing my clits, I'm thinking, I'm going to yeah. do something great today, yeah. you know? Yeah. Uh, so How that, old were you? I was 15 wow. at that time. So It is a really hard to get your head around if you're from everybody listening to this who's been in one of the clubs around here to imagine how a, what seems like a little thing made a huge difference in a person's life, right? Because your kids mm -hmm. here, you're, every six months they're buying a new pair of cleats or something. Right. And to hear that story is just, it blows your mind, mm -hmm. you know? Um, but that just shows you when you have the opportunity to help people who don't have certain things, how much of a difference it can make, right? Not just I'm playing, I'm but mentally, uh, what a change, right? Oh, huge, huge change because it, it inspires you, it inspires you to think bigger than what you, you are accustomed right. to, it inspires you to, to imagine things that were not possible before. Now, have you reached to your cousin and said, you won't believe how much that meant to me at the time? Have you done that? I, I have. And, and, and it's also in um, the manuscript that I'm writing. I'm writing a memoir. Oh, okay, uh, okay and, good. And he's helping uh, kind of edit it as well because he is a very intelligent guy. He yeah. studied at Boston um, College. Yeah. He's got his PhD and he's written a couple of books. So sometimes I give him my material and say, Can I just kind of read through it and let me know what you think. That's great. That's great. They could pay people to play in the, the local team? Anybody, no, no we, we were fed. We were, we were given um, juice and, and uh, a sandwich there you after go. games. <laughs> and we loved it because we didn't have that at home. So we'd have it at a game. Juice was yeah. uh, like a, yeah. a luxury, yeah. huh? Yeah, yeah. it was. Yeah. Yeah. What about transport getting to the games? You guys had to find your way there? Is it a pickup? You meet? Get in a van, pickup truck. Yeah, so for games, the, the club would provide like a pickup truck. And we'll get on a pickup truck. And if it's yeah. three teams going at the same time, yeah. they'll get like a, like a lorry, like a big truck, <laughs> a three-ton truck, and we'll all jump in there. Jump, now, yeah, yeah. there was something about being inside a truck that made everybody go wild or something like that. As soon as the truck started moving, we started singing and dancing. 
the, com yeah. is the camaraderie around it. Yeah. It's yeah. traveling together. It's traveling together. So yeah. let me let me let me jump in here real yeah, quick. <clears throat> when I came up here and I started coaching club, I realized that the kids up here didn't have what I had playing in Trinidad, where we would travel in the bus mm. and we would go together. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> that camaraderie. They get to the games on their own. Mm -hmm. Mom's <clears throat> and they leave yeah. on their own. Most of the times they, they have some type of camaraderie is a tournament where they might stay in a hotel together. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. So I think that is missing in the club structure up here. Just just going to a game together. You don't know how much fun that is on a bus. Yeah. Yeah. It it just builds you as a team and you get out there and we're ready to, you know, to suffer and work yeah. for each other as a team. Mm -hmm. You know? Mm -hmm. I would add I would add to that. Um the the other piece that it that did it for me and, and I'm pretty sure for you as well is that it eliminated that post game mama dad dad tribe about your coach yeah. <laughs> 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 whether you played bad or the coach made some poor decisions yeah, or yeah. how could he <laughs> play so and so and not you and yeah. that kind of stuff they it eliminated that because. After the game, you're, you're with your mates. Right. You're driving back home with your mates. So you, that one hour drive or whatever, how long, with your teammates, yeah. it eliminated that conversation with your parents. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> and maybe if you're lucky, by the time you made the trip home, your parents got it out of their system. Exactly. You arrive at home and they're not bitching about they're something. They're not. Yeah. No, not at all. Yeah. Uh, uh, that's so, cool. yeah. That's it, funny. That's funny. <laughs> it, that is if your parents actually made it to the game because transport issues, they might not show up. Yes. Right. Local games, home games, they would come. Right, uh, but yeah, they didn't travel as much to away games. As a 15-year-old and a 16-year-old playing in that club soccer, that's when I started thinking. I I think I might have something here, um, because during that time as well, the club had a third division team, and they started throwing some of us, the 15s and and the 16s, into the first team. Gotcha. And I, I remember playing my first two games and I scored my first two games and I was like, man, this feels good. And I'm playing with men, mm -hmm. adults. Yeah. Uh, so when you get kicked, you really get kicked, you know, <laughs> and it's not, it's no longer child's play. Right. So you have to learn to solve problems a different way. It doesn't, you didn't have to be physical anymore because if you made it physical, you always lost. So you had to be a little yes. bit more intelligent about how you use the ball, your time, the time and the space. Yes. So I felt... That's when I started thinking I might have something here to grab onto. Now I was thinking I really want to play pro. But when it actually clicked for me that this is what I really want to do is when this club that I was playing for mm -hmm. went to become curtain raisers for the national team. Zimbabwe was playing Guinea. I remember that game very, very well. Because that, that's, that's the moment I told myself, I want to play here. I will be playing here. So we played in a stadium. In Zimbabwe, the culture is that people show up to the stadium. If the game was at 3 o'clock, they show up to the stadium at 10. <laughs> because there were other entertainments, there were other games going on before this the main game. It's a whole day event. It's a whole yeah. day event. And part of that were junior teams playing. And they, they always selected the top junior teams to come and play and entertain the adults. And they loved it to see mm -hmm. the young talent yeah. on the field performing. And so we were playing in a game, we were playing a team called Caps United, which is one of the big clubs. And we were playing in there and it was amazing. I mean, I was like 
overwhelmed by just the atmosphere, the energy, the energy, the crowds. I was, I and mean, we were playing well. The game ended up 2-1 for us and yeah. I scored one of the goals. Nice. And when I scored and the crowd erupted, I was like, man, this is life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, I mean, that, that just like, this is life. struck you like, I need this. Exactly. Yes. Like, yes. Feed yes. on this. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And then when the first team started playing after our game, first team started playing, I'm watching these guys playing on the field and the crowd going crazy. Now, by that time, the stadium is is like full to capacity. It's a 60,000 uh, seater stadium. A photo capacity. Yeah. Singing, crowd singing, banging drums, wow. cheering, whistling. And I'm watching these guys and I'm told, I'm telling myself, I am going to be in there. Because a few months before that, you don't have cleats mm -hmm. and you're playing on a street where your toes are being split open. Yeah. And yeah. now all of a sudden you're in the 60,000 person stadium mm -hmm. with singing and shows and people. Yeah. And it's just, it's life changing. I would imagine. I mean, it's just insane. That for me is where we talk about the light bulb turning on or the, the switch turning mm -hmm. on. That's when mm -hmm. it flipped for me. That's when this. The switch flipped on. Like, I need this. Yes. <laughs> I want this, this. is going to be me. Still going to be doing school, Dad. But <laughs> yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm pursuing this other dream now. Yeah. Um, somehow I have to make it work for both. Because my dad has to, had to make sure, sit me down. Listen, this is what you want. I told him, I'm going to play pro. But this is what you want. You still have to do this. Yeah, he wasn't going to let you slack in the school. No, part. not at all. So, yeah. So, that's how I actually ended up um, playing pro and then actually coming to the U.S. because my grades were good. Mm -hmm. And then there were these two missionary, play missionary players from the U.S. that went to Zimbabwe on a missions project. They ended up playing for the club I was with. And we started talking and doing Bible studies together. Uh, and then they asked me a question. So... What would you like to do? I said, uh, man, I've been to Poland. I've been to Germany. I played there. I played for the national team. I've played pro here. I really would like to go to college and study. Um, because I knew my dad was still like, <laughs> still yeah, got to yeah. do this. You couldn't just say, I'm packing my bags and moving yeah. somewhere to play soccer. He wanted the education part. Exactly. And, and also, growing up in the streets, you live with these guys that you looked up to before that were playing. Uh -huh. And then they retired, and then you realize that they're struggling. And part of the struggles is that because they did not take school seriously or they did not pursue education, so they had nothing else to fall back onto. Right. So you, you're learning these lessons as you're growing up because you're watching these guys that you used to look up to now struggling. And sometimes they're struggling and they're bitter on top of it. Exactly. So, and you don't want, you're telling yourself, I don't want to be that. I don't want to be, I don't want to end up like that. Yeah. So I have to find, a way to make sure that when soccer is done, I have something to fall back on. That's, that's amazing that your pops and parents instilled that upon you, because that is difficult to get in a kid's head sometimes, especially when one is a super athlete, because mm. they'd be like, I don't need that. I'm a great soccer player. Yeah, well, <laughs> so yeah, that's what, amazing. Yeah, what yeah. after the sport is done? What if you get hurt? I what mean, you, you know, know. You, they, yeah. yeah. So I had to make a choice. I had a contract waiting in South Africa. And South Africa is like one of the major like stepstones to go big. big. At the same time, I got a place to study in the US. Mm. And I was 24. So I'm still kind of going towards the prime of my career. And I had to make a decision. Mm -hmm. I just had a baby. Oh, uh, on top of that. So now I was thinking, what is the best way 
to make sure that my baby has a good life. Mm-hmm. I can make quick money and play soccer right now, mm-hmm. go to this con- uh, in South Africa, in yeah. South Africa, or I could lay a long-term foundation and go to school. Right, right. Uh, so I decided to come to school. And what was, was your uh, wife the, thinking about that at the time? She didn't understand it, but she she accepted that was the situation. The problem, too, is that I had to leave him behind. So when I moved here, I was by myself. They mm-hmm. stayed back in Zimbabwe, so that was difficult. Sure. Um, but we we came to, to an understanding that this is more... It's a short-term problem with a long-term right. solution. Because a few years before that, if you said you could play for the South African team, you'd be like, that's the most awesome thing ever. And it yes. still was. But now you, a little, maybe you helped a little bit that it was your 24 instead of 20 yeah. when that choice yes. happened, yeah, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You were able to, to look big picture a little bit more. Right. And I, I had applied to different countries for scholarships. I applied in Denmark. I applied to universities in Germany. Uh, and then when this opportunity came from through the uh, missionary guys, uh, Aaron Treadway and Justin Rivard are their names. The two guys really helped me to connect with schools in the U.S. on the West Coast. They mm-hmm. were from California. Uh, so they, I ended up at Corbin as a result. Did you have any uh, people around you who were almost resentful of the fact that you had success? I don't know. Um, I, I, I think what actually ended up happening for me is that I don't know if they were resentful, but the fact that we would we ended up being disconnected. Like my my neighborhood friends, mm-hmm. we ended up being disconnected. One, because now I had f- I had to focus on this thing that I was pursuing. On you, yeah. Yeah. Right. So yeah. Making there, your was, life better. there were some things that I I had to give up. That means parties in the neighborhood, hanging out with my friends. When we started when we came back from school they wanted to hang out i was packing my bags up and going to practice so on weekends when they were hanging out i was at games mm-hmm. so now it it started uh, pulling kind of us apart a little bit in terms of connection but i don't think that they were jealous or anything like that because when i started playing for the national team they were the guys that were making the loudest noise Great. Yeah. in the stadium Whenever I yeah. would step out onto the stadium, there was a code that we, a neighborhood code that we, it's like a whistle okay. that I would hear. Uh, once I hear that code from the, from the bleachers, I would know my boys are there. That's true friends right there. That <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, no, it was good. Yeah. So, yeah, I wouldn't say they were jealous, but I, I, there was a little Just, bit of a disconnection. Yeah, um, that happens probably with maybe the kids here too, that they have to you know, give up some things mm-hmm. when they get to, like they have to go to an academy or something like that. Right. You still want to have, and I'm sure you tell your kids this, the, a balance mm-hmm. of, of life, uh, right? Because you can, in, in some cases, get so sucked in, right, that you right. lose yourself or lose becoming a well-rounded person like you were with college and whatnot. Right. Is that something that you talk to the, the kids at the academy and stuff about? Yeah, I think... Kids these days, they have a lot more competing interests than I did. Yeah. They have a lot more distractions uh, than I did during my day. I didn't grow up with video games. I didn't grow up with computer games. I didn't grow up with mm. TV. Um, but so you also didn't grow up with cleats. And you I didn't, didn't grow, grow up with, with juice. <laughs> you didn't grow up with good sandwiches. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> training. Uh, yeah. They, have, they have to juggle a lot more now. The balancing act is a little bit more difficult. In addition to that, 
I think they're also overscheduled here. They oh. have to do piano, they have to do taekwondo, uh, they're playing uh, soccer, and then they have to do a school homework, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, and then they got birthdays and and all that kind of stuff yeah, that, is, that is going on. Too, yeah. Right? Yeah. So their life here is more regimented. Right. Whereas my life was not as regimented as it was. I played school soccer and I went to school and I played in the streets. Right. I did my homework when, whenever I felt like now I got time to do it. Right. You know? There's free time. There's, There's free, free play. time. Yeah. Was, so uh, the only thing I would say for kids these days is that, or for parents at all, they have to allow kids sometimes to be kids. And, and and find their way. I, I'm pretty sure when you guys grew up, you were riding bikes and, and yeah. things all over the place. Climbing trees. Climbing yeah. trees. Doing yeah. that type of stuff. Yeah. 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 But kids now, these days, it's it's difficult to, to find them time to do that. Yes. Uh, so the focus for them can be difficult to, to actually manage because they've got all these other things that are competing for, yes. their, for their attention. You, you talk about that where you gained that confidence at one point mm -hmm. when that happened is there something you would advise parents to do to improve kids confidence is there things that they is and there's there a difference between confidence and expectations mm -hmm. uh you know how do you find that where you, you don't want overconfidence and you don't want it to feel like they didn't succeed if they had a bad game mm -hmm. how do you talk people through that i i just say that to parents don't lie to your kids <laughs> oh is this Unwillingness for parents to see their kids hurt a little bit or go through adversity a little bit. Um, so when they are not doing so well, parents are always telling them they're doing very well. Good job. And yeah, good job. Well done. Everybody gets a trophy uh, for participating. Yeah. I, I think sometimes that kind of masks um, what's actually truly going on mm -hmm. with kids. Um, and the kids grow up expecting to hear that. So when they actually go, whether it's football, whether it's soccer, whether it's sport, mm -hmm. or just regular work, right? now they have to actually get real feedback from the boss, mm -hmm. and they can't handle it. Oh, I see, right. So right. The, the confidence, I think, for me, will come from the fact that my dad knows that I messed up, knows that I didn't do very well, but he's proud of the effort that I put in. Yes. He's just proud of that I'm doing something that I enjoy doing. And he he recognizes the fact that it's it's a commitment, it's hard work. There are gonna be ups and downs, uh, but then he actually lets, allows me to own the process rather than him owning the process for me. Gotcha. And I just he have kind to of follow you to it. Right. Right. Yeah. So I have to I have to learn through making mistakes, doing good things, and then also making sure that you know my parents are just happy and proud of the person that I am or the athlete that I am, but they're allowing me to choose or to find my way in the process. Mm. People say, you know, well, that's crazy that you don't keep score. I mean, we do keep score, right? But the process more important than the score, right? The process is more important. And for me, that goes back to my big brothers and their friends beating up on me when we played in the streets because that process kind of molded me. Yes. And my my line or my pathway to, to pro level was not straight. So I, I played in almost all the lower levels that you can think of and climbed slowly, gradually to, to a pro level. And part of it was me getting kicked off that 
fifth uh, that team mm -hmm. when I was in fifth grade. Adversity then, yeah. Exactly. I had to deal with that. I had to learn with that. Yeah. Uh, to deal with that. And the national team, I got dropped from the national team once oh, yeah. uh, because I didn't fit in the coach's plans. But if I had taken that and say, well, I'm not good anymore because the coach doesn't like me, then I would not have gone anywhere with the game. But it took me getting beat up by my brothers and his friends and go kicking the rocks and splitting my foot open and kind of going through what I had to go through to actually tell me that I can do this. Yeah. I can... I can I can be better. So every time I, I faced uh, adversity, I went back home and told myself, I'm going to be better next time or I'm going to show them how good I am. So, but that comes from confidence and also with motivation. Uh, what motivates you to play? Do you enjoy the game? Is it your game? Or are you playing it because mom and dad are pushing you to do it? Mm. That was my game. My dad wanted me to do something else. He wanted me to go to school, engineer. Yeah. I wanted to play the game. One or the other, we had to meet in the middle. Right. Yeah. Right. So, and, and, and kids will have doubts at times and right. things like that. Well, I'll have so many hours of practice, somebody this, that. But, uh, you know, they, they can get through that mm -hmm. if that's what they, you know, if that's what their passion is. Right. Then, then they can work through it. So, let us know about the, the discovery program that you're running okay. for Charlotte FC. Yeah. So, the discovery program is what the name actually says it's a discovery project. We are mm -hmm. looking to discover the next Swedenski or the next Ben Bender. Right, right. You know? We're starting with the U12s and U13s, and these guys are not full-time with us. They mm -hmm. belong to local clubs. They come and train with us twice a week, and we work with them, and then we send them back to their clubs, and they play games for their clubs, and then we watch them as they play games. Oh, so you don't really have a team. We don't have a team. Okay, I understand. Okay. The idea behind it is that it's too early to bring a kid at U12 and U13 full-time because things change a lot between 12 and 13, and by the time physically, they get to 14, mentally. physically, mentally, cognitively, mm -hmm. uh, things change. So we believe that at U14 is when you can actually start thinking, okay, this kid might have something that we that fits what we're trying to, to build here. And can we bring him in full time? So do you go look for players to invite to the discovery program? That's one way as well. So our scouts, me, the other coaches in the academy, scouts, we all go and watch these young players play in their clubs. And then we identify the players that, you mm -hmm. know, tick a lot of our boxes. And a lot of them might be not the best players in the club or on the team, but they may show a lot more potential than the ones that are the best players on the team. So we look for potential as well. And it could be a late developer. It could be an underdeveloped yeah, kid. Yeah, you never know. Yes, who has more ideas, but just cannot be successful enough to uh, execute them um, in the game because... His experience is playing against big boys, early developers that are physically fast, uh, stronger. They are faster than him. But you can see the ideas that he's trying to show on the field. Those are the players that we okay. get wow, really interested in. Yes. Yeah. The other thing we do as well is we collaborate with coaches and, and clubs and their directors and say, if there's someone you think we should look at, 
please yeah. let us know then we'll come and look at him and and see if he fits into okay so program. you go off recommendations as well yes okay but yeah. it, just because a club recommends someone does not mean we're going to take him no you go right. look we'll go and look you go look yeah we'll put eyes yeah. on them okay. it might be me going one time and then another coach goes another time and somebody else goes in and then we compare notes and we say okay does okay is, does he is, warrant is there a probationary him? period for a player because you might go look you might all agree, let's invite Dwayne. Mm -hmm. But Dwayne shows up week one, week two, week three, and it's probably not going to work out. So is there a period you kind of tell them, you know, this is a trial period? Right. Yeah. So the way the program works is that it goes in phases. Mm -hmm. and each phase is eight weeks long. So eight they, weeks. Okay. they'll come in for eight weeks and we'll select a pool of 20 players, U12, 20, U13 players. And then we'll train them for, for eight weeks. Mm -hmm. And then they'll go back uh, after eight weeks, they get they get back to their clubs, and then we we'll monitor them. And then while we're also looking at other players that maybe we missed at the eight weeks or they didn't look so good, yes, uh, ready. Okay. Uh -huh. They didn't look ready for that eight weeks, but maybe showing progress. And then we put another roster for the next eight weeks. That might include some of the guys that were in the first eight weeks and new guys that we. Uh, observed okay yeah because so, i didn't want you to give that false impression that okay we got Dwayne in here and he's a fixture in, you know in the program right no right people rotating in and out yeah yes. it's a revolving yes. door yeah yes. it's not okay. a permanent it's not a permanent so it's situation okay. so you come in for eight weeks if we offer you for eight weeks you're you're in there for eight weeks we committed to you for eight weeks and how often do they go in that eight weeks they every day or a few days a week or they go twice a week. Twice a week. Twice a week, uh, Monday, Wednesdays. Okay. Um, so they train. The f the, our full-time academy trains first on Mondays and Wednesdays. And then those little guys show up after. Oh, so, so they see some of those guys first. See, Yes. Yeah. They'll come in and they'll see the environment. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Yeah. Yes. They see the big boys training. Uh -huh. They see the staff working with the big boys. And then the same staff will stay behind and then work with now with right, the, the same uh, the field setup. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so you get this pipeline of, of kids. Exactly. Uh, so our current U14s, who, who are doing very well right now, is the first, um, they are the first graduates of that discovery program last day. Oh, wow. Moved in last year. Okay. They're doing really well, and we're really excited about them because they're showing a lot of potential. Now, the question is, the discovery program, since it's only for players that are within one and a half hour driving radius of Charlotte, as they okay. move to U15, that's when we start bringing in the homestay program. So okay. our kids from farther out will start coming in. Now, Same with the host family or something. Yes. Now, if we did a good job with the discovery program, then there won't be too many changes going into U15. Understood. Which, which is almost, which is looking likely right now for the current U14s. A lot of homegrowns, yeah. Tell me about the foundation. <laughs> yeah, so... <laughs> The foundation is called Friendship Foundation for Zimbabwe. It started off as just me, as Dwayne is saying, just me collecting used gear from teams that I coached, from teams that my friends were coaching, and collecting gear and then shipping them to Zimbabwe. And then I would go to Zimbabwe and run free camps. So I would run two camps every summer. And those camps were, I would say, free. They're free for Zimbabwean kids. Mm-hmm. But they were prepaid by parents here. Gotcha. I would run camps here. And those camps were meant to fund camps in Zimbabwe. Mm -hmm. Right. That's cool. Yeah, so, that's cool. 
instead of going in and asking for people just to donate, I wanted to give a service here first to their kids. Right. And then through that service, serve the kids in Zimbabwe. That's fantastic. So not only were the kids here getting training, but they were also participating in supporting peers in And Zimbabwe. you made sure that they, I mean, they, they knew the story, right? They so, knew the story, yeah. The which, story was told up front and during the week that's great. That we, we spoke about it as well. So to help them practice gratitude and uh, understanding of, of, of helping others and things. Exactly. And we never understated the importance of what kids here and their families were doing to support other kids in Zimbabwe. Because it didn't stop just with clays, camps. They also supported with school materials, books. So during the week of camp, people would donate books. They would donate uh, school supplies. And some, some parents would go as far as supporting a kid with tuition. I gotcha. Yes, many ways they can help. So, um, and then I would go to Zimbabwe and then I'll run camps there with a, with a group of coaches locally. So now not only are we training kids in Zimbabwe, giving them camp experience that they never had. The, the organization, the structure like you didn't have, you did all streets. So this is a little more structure than right. the street than soccer. Than the street soccer, yes. 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 Yeah. And so we'll do that. And then I would also use it as a tool to kind of help school coaches. So they would come in and participate in a camp. So I would hold a camp at a school site um, and invite school coaches, high school coaches or grade school coaches yeah. to come in and help out, participate. And they will get a token uh, of appreciation. And then some, some of them will actually get fees. Uh, not fees, like what would you call it? Yes. Yeah, like, okay, compensation. Yeah, yeah, stipend. Okay. Exactly, yeah. stipend. Uh, so, yeah, so... Do the kids felt, get juice in a sandwich? Kids get f got fed, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was one of the biggest things for me because I, I, I remembered myself yeah. training and playing, sweating, hungry. Yeah. Then go back wow. home, you know? And then on game days, there's going to be food after, at least juice and, and a sandwich. So I, I always imagine that when I go to do camps in Zimbabwe, that these kids might not have three meals a day. Wow. So when they come to my camp, the least I could do is to provide them something, something. to eat. Uh, because it's, it's difficult to train on, a on an empty stomach. Yes, sure. Yeah, you can't I've focus. experienced that and I don't want them to go through you that. You can't focus. So yeah, so that's how the foundation started. And now it morphed mm -hmm. in, into something bigger. Yeah. There's a situation in Zimbabwe, a water situation, uh, where... When I grew up, there was running water in the tapes. Now there's no running water for the majority of people, except if wow. you live in affluent uh, societies. Okay. So for the majority of people, water is now dug in wells, unless if you have like a, a, an electric pump that can pump water off. Like your old still. neighborhood does not have, a lot of it doesn't have water right they, now? They have taps, but water will come in once a week if uh, if that okay so for the most part you're fetching water mm -hmm. you know um so we decided we could not solve that problem but we can solve the problem of the cleanliness of water so we started a project of water filters providing water filters to families oh that's great mm -hmm. so there's a company in C california called waves for water these guys are like surfers they they go around the world looking for big waves to surf mm. and they decided they wanted to yeah. provide clean water 
we reached out to them, they have these water filters that they created or they manufactured. Mm-hmm. And so they, they, these water filters are good for 99.1% of like cleaning oh, wow. all the germs in water. So they cost 50 bucks, one water filter, but it can serve a million gallons wow. of water. That's a game changer in that, I mean, there's people's world, right? Yes. I mean, that's, that's huge. All you, all you need is a water source mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. a bucket. That's all you need. And you, and you dump it through the... You dump it through the filter. So you dump it from one bucket to the other bucket, but it got to go through a filter. And by the time it comes out, it's, it's clean. That's, wow. that's amazing, Pat. That is so cool. No, so that's a that. good collaboration. So that's what, we, that's what we're now doing. Um, and then we, we also started raising money. Or we, we started, but then we stopped raising money to construct a dam or a village Mm-hmm. This dam serves a radius of seven kilometers, which is about 350 uh, families or households. But the, the demo broke, so it wasn't retaining any water. Yeah. So we decided to, to make that one of our big projects and help them kind of rebuild the demo. Right. And, uh, and this is all through your foundation? This is all through the Friendship Foundation. Yeah. So. How do they find it? What's the... Uh what are they? It's ffzimbabwe.org. That's the website. So ffzimbabwe.org. I would imagine you've seen some crazy uh, emotional reactions to some of the things you've done for these uh, kids and families, right? Yeah. And I think that is one of the most, is gratifying the word? Yeah, Satis- fulfilling. Satisfying? Both. Fulfilling. Yeah. yeah. Things that I've done uh, in my life, in my group of board members in the foundation. My wife is part of it. And then we have two friends, Tracy Reinhardt and then May Doherty, mm-hmm. who help tremendously with that project. But for me personally, it's not about the returns that I get. It's about the, the smiles and yeah, the, the lives you're the changing, lives man. That, that are getting impacted yes. uh, daily by just a small thing. It might be a small thing that, like yesterday, one of my friends, Cesar Toro, dropped a pair of clits in my mailbox and said, uh, I hope somebody else can use this. These are gently used Nike Tiempo clits that are nice. So now I'm thinking, okay, so when I go to Zimbabwe or when I ship stuff to Zimbabwe, somebody's going to have a pair of clits. And it, it's nothing for me other than the satisfaction that somebody else is well, like you can still yeah. hold on to that moment when you got those cleats. Yes. yes. So and how did you open a brand, like a pair of those? Right. And, and how inspired I felt yes. receiving or holding that, that pair of cleats. Yeah. There's this one mantra, I think it's a Jamaican mantra, each one touch one. That's what, we, that's what we use. If I touch one person and you touch another person and all of a sudden exponentially we've touched a lot of people. And that's how we want to, that's beautiful. to, to go about the business. That's wow. absolutely beautiful. It's been a fantastic uh, talk, man. I really appreciate it, Patrick. Really appreciate it. Uh, thank you, guys. This, this was good. This was cool. It's good to actually share my story because you don't get to share my story. That's why maybe I'm writing that memoir because yeah. I, I, yeah. I feel like I have a story to tell. Yeah. Well, I think um, we only scratched the surface of some yeah, of the stories. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We'll have to bring you back for part two and three <laughs> later. <laughs> well, thank you, guys. I really appreciate it. Cool stuff. Trash it in the